From the broadcast booth to a courtside seat to the post-game locker room, nobody's closer to the action than our guys. It's Chris, JD, and Mike here inside the Press Box. And on this Wednesday, June 1st, episode 353 of the program, Mike Grace inside the break line up studios, along with Brad Law from the Auburn Sports Network studios down in Destin, Florida. Spring meetings are going on. And again, <laughs> like there's nothing to talk about this spring. Usually it's a combination, a little vacation, a little, you know, just get together. Hi, how are you? Uh, might be some things of more consequence going on down there uh, this week. We'll ask Aaron Suttles, who covers the Alabama Crimson Tide for the Athletic Aaron. Again, not your typical spring meetings this week down in Destin. There's a lot of stuff that is important for the future of college football and the SEC, yeah? Absolutely. You know, some some years these things are sort of a snore fest with a lot of administrative stuff that not too many fans can, can resonate with or deeply care about. But that's not the case this week from, from the sort of off-the-field drama with Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher that I think a lot of people find salacious and interesting from a tabloid perspective to – stuff of real consequence for their program, which is the future of the SEC scheduling model and what that might look like going forward, especially when Texas and Oklahoma join the league. To uh, How do you even begin to rein in NIL along with the transfer portal and stuff? So there's a lot of issues that uh, that are being discussed here amongst the 14-member uh, institution football programs. Aaron, as a, as a reporter, as a journalist, uh, what are your thoughts on, you mentioned the, the salaciousness or, or the tabloid-esque approach that that some have have taken to this Jimbo Saban thing. Just your, your thoughts on how this has been covered. We know why it's been covered the way it's been covered, but uh, just from, from your perspective as, as a professional, as a journalist, um, uh, your take on how big of a deal this is? Well, I, I thought Nick Saban was out of pocket. I, I thought he made, I think he made a rare mistake, uh, misstep. You know, Nick Saban is, um, is lauded in a lot of areas, and rightfully so, because I, I genuinely think he's, he's a brilliant leader. I think he could easily be leading a Fortune 500 company, and it would come natural to him. So he's that level of intelligence in terms of building up a, a corporate structure and an organization and leading it. So he, he's very, but one area he, he doesn't get as much credit in is, is the way he uses the media. Um, in, in all regards, there's very few times he's caught um, where, where he, he makes a mistake. And he made a mistake with this one because he could have easily gotten his message across, which was the dangers of NIL and, and the changes coming to the sport, by not mentioning a program. He should never have mentioned Texas A&M. He should have never mentioned Jackson State. And if he just says this is what's going on, the message still gets across. So I, I thought he was—I thought he made a mistake there. I thought Texas A&M made an even bigger mistake because if you're Texas A&M and you don't respond at least publicly, you still have the high ground. Um, but they called a press conference. I mean, I can't remember in my time. Maybe you guys can. Where another member institution called a press conference simply to to personally attack another coach and that's what that was yeah. so mm-hmm. I, I thought it was a low point for I, I think it was bad for both programs that being said the way it's been covered 
this is pretty predictable. Um, I think Nick Saban has now apologized twice. He wants to move on from behind the scenes. Texas A&M has no intention of letting this go. Um, so, I, but I, I think anything further is just trying to get trying to stir stuff up because I, I think Alabama said all they're going to say on it, and there's really nothing left for them to say. I will say though, and I wrote this for the Athletic today. I think this is good for the SEC. I really do. Um, not not that coaches are personal attacking each other per se, but that there's some general interest in flavor. You know, long time ago, we had Steve Spurrier saying you can't spell citrus without UT, and and that's funny. It brings a little a little spice to rivalries. I mean, aside from this dust up, Alabama and Texas A&M have very minimal history. There's not much of a rivalry there. There's the the hurricane game that's memorable, I think, from 1988. There's the Johnny Menzel game from 2012. But other than that, this is a pretty nondescript rivalry. Well, now this gives it a little flavor. So, and and we used to get we used to get more of that in the SEC, and it's become real corporate, kind of like what NASCAR went. You know, it was a very regional sport, and then it got corporate, and you took some of the fun away from it. I think that's the SEC a little bit. We've lost some of our characters in the head coaching group. Um, personas and stuff so i think this adds a little flavor to it aaron subtles that that was an outstanding uh answer aaron thank you for that um bigger picture now let's let's take this and transition the nil discussion to to bigger picture i think and i didn't think this was possible 11 months ago i think i'm changing my attitude on uh, on nil right so what is the role where is the place for equity across college athletics on the surface when when we when we boil it down to just nil we think well yes it needs to be the same across the board well i don't know though aaron nothing else is the same i mean the scholarship numbers are the same across the board but whether i go to a to a, a a group of supporters across the state and say reach into your deep pockets for an nil deal so we can get the best players or so we can build a new football facility to try to get the best players, the equity really is not a part. How much should equity be a part of the discussion when it comes to college athletics? It's a funny word and how it's being used now, um, especially, and I'm not taking a shot at Nick Saban. I get this bigger point, but college football's never had equity. College sports doesn't have equity, and it wasn't designed to have equity. I mean, it's designed in terms of the scholarships, as you mentioned, but um when the bigger programs can go in and hire almost an unlimited coaching staff and support roles. And you can build, as you mentioned, the facilities that you want. Um, certain states have, have produced more high school athletes that are capable of playing in the SEC. What's equitable about that? So there, like Alabama faces a situation. There are two SEC programs that a state like Alabama is fighting for, for uh, you know, their student athletes over. Whereas, you go to Louisiana or, or Georgia, there's only one SEC program. There's nothing equitable about that. So this idea of equity in college sports is, is sort of laughable. Um, it, but I do think NIL is a, sort of a different animal in terms of, listen, Alabama and Auburn have a lot of money. And I know their fans sort of pride themselves on that. But I, I think they have deluded themselves into thinking that there are unlimited coffers that Alabama offer, and Alabama offer. And they're not. It's not as big a state with as many alumni as Georgia or Florida. And don't get me started on Texas. If you filled up your your car recently, you know how much gas is. And guess who's profiting what state the most on that? So 
Alabama can, and on Auburn can do a lot through NIL. They cannot touch what Texas can do, and that's just a reality. And so while, you know, some people are, are very excited about the possibility of what Alabama could do or Auburn could do through a collective if they were to, you know, allegedly match what maybe Tennessee or Texas A&M is alleged to have done through NIL, they can do some things. But if it comes down to strictly money, Alabama and Auburn cannot do what Texas A&M and Texas can do. Uh, they just can't because of the, the, the amount of money. And there's also a hunger factor attached to this. Alabama's won six national championships under Nick Saban. The people at Texas A&M have a hunger to get there. They just want one. Hmm. So when you, ha- when you have a hunger, you have a desperation, a desire, you're probably willing to shell out a little more money. Alabama fans have been shelling out money for a long time in terms of you know, traveling and, and, and going to those games. But in terms of you know, reaching out to, to boosters, well, we, we've won a national championship two years ago. We're, the, the hunger is not the same. So I do think the NIL, the way it's currently you know, being used, is, um, is radical for college football. And, it, and there's no, absolutely no way that can be equitable under its current design. He is Aaron Suttles, Alabama beat writer for The Athletic, reporting on the SEC meetings down in Destin along with Brad Law of the Auburn Sports Network and Mike Grace here inside the Breakline Optic Studios. It's going to be a while before we figure out name, image, likeness. It should be sooner to, to, to at least put some limits on the transfer portal, uh, trying to reduce what is now a 365-day-a-year window down to a couple. And most coaches agree uh, that, that there would need to be some kind of window put on that. Is that an accurate statement, Aaron? Yeah, it's especially when you you tie it to NIL. Because Lane Kiffin brought up an interesting scenario a couple weeks ago. That what's the let's say let's use Bryce Young as an example, as Lane did. What's to stop? Even though Bryce is very happy at Alabama, has had a ton of success at Alabama. His his marketability is making a lot of money at Alabama through NIL. But what's to stop him to entering the portal to try to get the best deal, essentially becoming a free agent. What, what can other schools or other businesses and other schools do for me? And so it's, it's a huge issue. It becomes, it's already you're recruiting 17, 18 year olds to come to your program. That's very difficult to do. Then it becomes, as you mentioned, a 365 day a year job, keeping them on your roster. So you're not only recruiting your next class, you're recruiting guys that you've already recruited. Uh, Maybe they're not playing enough and you got to keep them. So, there needs to be some sort of window. No one feels sorry for the coaches because they, they make a great living, but it, it is a very difficult job. That's only gotten harder because of NIL, because of the transfer portal. And so it, it, it would just help roster construction and management for these coaches to know, to have some hard dates on when they're going to know their scholarship situation, what, what players they are going to have to replace, who they're losing, who they potentially can gain. And I, I think we're, you know college football as a whole and college athletics is sort of working through that. I mean, all these changes are great for the student athlete. No one debates that, but they came with a lot of unintended consequences that are going to have to be worked through. Let's go to scheduling now, Aaron. Do you think that uh, the SEC goes to a nine-game conference schedule? Do you think they stay at eight? And we could talk about the reasonings why either one, but ultimately, do you think they stay with eight or go to nine? I, I think they're going to go to nine. I think that's what the conference is going to recommend. I think some of the smaller schools are going to have some pushback because, you know, listen, you go to nine games, that's an automatic loss for seven, you know, seven or eight when mm-hmm. Texas and Oklahoma come in for half your conference. That's another loss. So if you're a Kentucky, 
and you're wor- you've already got you know a, a built-in Power Five rivalry out of conference with Louisville every year. You're worried about getting to those six wins, right, to get the bowl eligibility. So I, I think that's a concern, but I, I do think that's the way it's got to go. Is nine games. Uh, I think most athletic directors agree. I'm sure you guys talk about it a lot. Um, the future of, of keeping fans interested in games is giving them better matchups. And when you can guarantee a, a better matchup one more time a year with a conference rival or, or a conference opponent, um, that's better than bringing in a buy win for most fans. It may not be the best for your program in terms of like guaranteeing a win, but in terms of television product for your, for your television partner, in terms of putting fans in the seats, of giving them a compelling reason to come to your stadium and spend money, um, for general interest in your program, the better matchups you can create, more of those, is good for fans. And I think nine games is good for fans in that regard. And it helps, um, it helps you know, cycle through the conference a little quicker, seeing some of these matchups that we don't see, but once every six, seven, eight years. All right. Uh, rather than go through which model you you think is best, l- let me ask this: Has there been any discussion about a uh, about adopting a model that doesn't set a schedule ten years out? And, and I guess the way that I'm kind of steering this is uh, a lot of things in the NFL are, are being geared a little more toward, or in the SEC are being geared a little more toward the NFL game. The NFL releases its schedule five months before the season starts. Have you heard any discussion whatsoever about determining schedules two years, three years at a time, or one year at a time versus a model that you set and then you can you can predict and sort of know the SEC schedule a decade in advance? Yeah, I know they've worked through 30 different models, so I'm sure the one that you're referencing has been, um, has been talked about. I, I know that they're focusing on two, which is basically an eight-game keeping it uh, an eight-game conference schedule where you have seven rotating opponents and one permanent, and the, the you know sort of what everyone thinks is where we're headed is the the nine-game three-six model. I think I think tra- tradition and rivalries make the model you talk about a little more difficult, um, especially when the goal from Commissioner Sankey is is getting programs through to other campuses more frequently. So. Uh, um, you know, I, I tend to think because of traditional rivalries and secondary rivalries, that makes that a little more difficult to achieve. And, you know, if the 3-6 model, it's not perfect. And and there will be some years that some schools get easier schedules than others. But um, the 3-6 at least gives you some familiarity with, with programs. You're going to keep Alabama-Auburn. You're able to keep Alabama-Georgia or uh, Auburn-Georgia. You're able to keep Alabama-Tennessee. And then rotate where you're playing – um, uh, every other opponent, I think, two out of every four years. So it gets those – you get through the conference more quickly. And so I think that's a desired goal um, it, as well as adding the conference game, which I think um, I think ESPN would probably want. I think more fans want that too. Final couple of minutes with Aaron Suttles, Alabama beat writer for the Athletic uh, – or Athletic, pardon me. <laughs> There's been talk in the last couple of weeks about the SEC having its own playoff, a four-team or eight-team, something like is, is this just posturing by Commissioner Greg Sankey to get the alliance, the other guys, back to the table? Or is this a real possibility? I think it's real in the fact that there is nothing beyond 2025. Um, and what I mean by that is Commissioner Sankey said, listen, 
listen, there is a little bit of leverage here, right? There is a little bit of posturing, but I also think there is a listen. If you guys can't, if we can't come to this, we're not going to just sit on our hands and not have a postseason. We'll at least have a plan for a postseason, if it, even if it's just ours. So, I don't think it's like a long term. We're going to break away and do our own thing for the sake of we're the big bad SEC. I think it's you guys can't get your stuff together. We're we're fine with where way things are, but if if there is nothing in place, we're going to do our own thing. So I don't I don't think it's a SEC breakaway sort of war, you know take over world domination sort of thing. I think it's we're fine with the way it is. Listen, if you guys want to stay at four, we're good. We just played an all SEC national championship game. Yeah, but we're not gonna we're not gonna come to the table for an 18 playoff where there are six automatic qualifiers and only two at large teams. We're too many of our teams are going to be left out. We play a more challenging schedule. We have better teams and programs than the other conferences. We're not going to cede that territory. So um, it, it, it makes no sense why they didn't come to an agreement on 12. You know, the 12 team playoff um, with you know with some automatic qualifiers and a significant number of at large teams, which protects the SEC's interests, is where this is headed. There's no reason why. Uh, other than pride and sticking it to the SEC, why they didn't vote it last time. And, yep. and Greg Sankey's like, listen, we can stay at four. The SEC is absolutely fine at four. We're not the ones shaking, you know, rocking the boat on this. But we're also just not going to um, not protect my conference's interest to to protect a conference that doesn't play as challenging a schedule. And that's what this all comes down to. No offense to any other program, but um, if you win the SEC or even make the SEC championship game, you've played a significantly more challenging schedule than some other conference champions. And you shouldn't just because all conferences aren't created equal. And, and Greg Sankey talked about that yesterday, that it, especially if you go to a nine-conference game season, Nick Saban mentioned this as well, you go to a nine-conference game schedule, there's a, you know, there's a very real possibility you're playing four games against top 15 teams. There, there could be a conference champion, and there are conference champions that don't play one top 15 team on their way to becoming a conference champion. So uh, we talked about equity yeah, they're they're ta- they're they're sort of, sort of trying to protect the SEC's interest here. And that listen, we want to make sure that we give us a path to as many teams in our conference as possible because we have the best teams and we play the best schedule. Less than a minute left with Aaron Suttles of the Athletic. Aaron, tell our listeners where they can find you and your terrific content online, man. Uh, at the Athletic, um, got plenty of pieces up there from from Dustin now, and you can always follow me on Twitter at Aaron Suttles. Is that simple? Theathletic.com and at Aaron Suttles on Twitter. Thanks so much for the time and the information, Aaron. Have a great one, and we'll talk again soon, man. All right, guys, take care. Want to talk to the guys? Hit them up at the contact page online at pressboxradio.com or find them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at pressboxradio1. That's pressboxradio and the number one. That's how you can earn access to the press box.